Opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV management or any of their advertisers. It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. That's right. It is Heatwave Sports. I'm Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. Jumping on board here, Tim Unglesby will join us in a little while. We are going to have special guest Chris Wynn jump on for the early part of the show. Lots to talk about. The AFC has a massive shakeup in the AFC standings, in the AFC powerhouse, in the power ratings. And we have a lot to talk about in the AFC. But the NFC, wow. You start to turn around, you start to look at With one game, with one game, the power has shifted in the NFC. We have a new favorite for the number one overall seed. We have doubts about an MVP claim. We're going to get into all of it, but I will tell you the entire scope of the NFL has changed today. So we will get into the games that were played, the games that are yet to be played. Also, a couple of comments still on the COVID issue and the ridiculous policy that the NFL is switching and moving around. We will get into that. I know a lot of you guys wrote me last night about that. So many people are understanding and agreeing, but we still do have one or two people that are a little slow to the party. So we'll get you guys on board there. Make sure you send out those tweets. Make sure you contact us. It's at HW Sports, or if you want to get me directly, it's at Tom Barton Sports. Also, we are still taking calls about Urban Meyer, 876-1340. We can talk a little bit about Urban Meyer and the impact there. We can talk a little bit about how the NFL draft is shaping up. And you Raider fans, oh, you, you Raider fans, look, it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all doom and gloom. You have a game tomorrow, Raiders, Browns. I don't care if you tell me that the Browns you know, are mostly healthy. Or, it's still a massively important game. And you could crawl back into this thing. Is there any hope, Las Vegas? Is there any hope that the Raiders will? We'll talk about that as well. All right. So, look, without further ado, let me bring on Chris Wynn. Chris, how you doing tonight? I don't know if uh, Chris is with us right now. Chris, are you with us? All right, you know what? You guys uh, let me know out there when, when Chris Wynn jumps on board. I have to tell you, you know, it, it, it was a absolutely crazy day. Um, you look at what exactly transpired in the NFL this week, not just today, but this week, right? You go back to the Saturday night game, and I think that the Saturday night game is kind of the most important thing here. You look at the Saturday night game and you say, where and how high do we have to think about the the Indianapolis Colts? And I think that looking at the Indianapolis Colts, you know, we, we touched on it. They're massively important. But the Bills didn't do what I told you that they needed to do. They went out. They got a convincing win. They got a cover. I mean, I gave you guys the Bills. They got a convincing win. They got a cover, but was it enough? Was it enough in the grand scheme of things to turn around and talk about the the Bills 
being back? I don't know. They struggled a little bit. They worried me a little bit. And I said, I would be off of the Bills bandwagon. I can't look at the Bills and think that in a contest against Kansas City or in a contest which would be on the road or in a contest even at home against the Colts, that they would be favored and I would feel good about them. So all of a sudden, the Bills kind of showed their their colors. Look, Cincinnati got a win, and it was a road win, but it was uninspiring. Pittsburgh got a win. It was, you know, a, an uninspiring win. But, hey, look, they got themselves back into it. Uh, but I still think the Colts are above them in the regard of, you know, look, you put them head-to-head. Who am I taking in the postseason? The Ravens, once again, beat themselves. We'll get into that, where... Harbaugh just overly aggressive. I, I have sang the praises of Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh, both of them on the air for years. But listen, uh, sometimes it comes to a time to rip them apart. And today was that game. I mean, today was that game. So we talk about that as well. We, we will get into the Ravens. We'll get into Cleveland, who's yet to play. I, I think that it's fair to say that the AFC has pretty much absolutely ridiculous just parody right now outside of the Kansas City Chiefs. I think that you look at this and you say, I think the Colts could be second. You can make an argument for Buffalo. If you want to tell me Lamar and the Ravens, I mean, the AFC is interesting, but it's the NFC where I really want to start with. So Chris, when are you there? Chris is still, still not connected. Um, he, yeah, Chris, I don't, I don't hear Chris guys, Brian out there. I do not hear you out there. So, look, I'm going to start with the NFC because the big game tonight is Tom Brady. Um, Tom Brady, look, I I don't change my opinion on one game. You know, I I don't change my opinion on one game. Tom Brady looked bad tonight. He did. And, you know, look, it's not that Brady looked bad. The entire team looked bad. But sometimes... One team is just not good. Um, you know, one team just has your number. You know, one team is just that team that you look at and you go, look, they, they just have the number. It's not just Tom Brady, but Tom Brady looked bad, right? Yep. Tom Brady. Yeah. Hey, Chris, there are you. There, there you are. There you are. Um, I'm talking about the AMC. Yeah, hey, what's up, Tommy? Yeah, sorry. We had a little uh, connection issue here uh, on this end as far as uh, the internet. But we're good to go now. No problem. No problem. Look, I was talking about the AFC, and I want to get into that because there's such parity in the AFC right now. But, look, we have to start with the NFC. And my point that I'm trying to make here early on with the connection issues and whatnot um, uh, was I wanted to get your take on one game. Look, Tom Brady looked bad tonight. I don't think anybody could say that he didn't. And I'm not going to give you the excuse of him missing receivers because it was early on when they were still healthy that he still looked bad. Brady looked bad. The Bucs looked bad. But but Chris, I think we're in a reactionary business. I think we're in a reactionary world. I'm not jumping off the ship of, of Tampa Bay. They have problems with New Orleans. Yes, they absolutely do. Can people mimic what New Orleans does? No, they can't. I'm not getting too down on them. I still believe, after everything that I saw, I still believe that Tampa Bay is the team to beat. One bad game is not going to get me off of that. But I also am really aware in the back of my head that even though Tom Brady wears a Superman cape, Superman is still 44 years old, and it's a long season. Where do you stand with this game? 
Well, there's no question that uh, this game tonight, I think, was an outlier. It wasn't something that uh, we can base a whole lot on, to be quite honest with you. Um, there's a lot of historics that it obviously is the Saints are the first team to shut out, first team to shut out a Tom Brady team since, what, 2006, I believe, is the last time it happened against the Dolphins. So uh, it, it was – I, I was stunned, to be quite honest with you, with uh, the effectiveness of New Orleans defensively that they were able to uh, – to shut down Tampa Bay because it's not like, you know, there was just a plethora of injuries or they were dealing with a bunch of COVID issues when it came to the Buccaneers. It was just a bad night for Tom Brady. It was a bad night offensively for them. They, I mean, they were able to, you know, occasionally get it to Gronk, occasionally get it to Chris Godwin, occasionally get it to Mike Evans and uh, Leonard Fournette. But it just was uh, a situation. They couldn't put any points on the board. It was crazy. So, again, I, I don't think that Bruce Arians – and, uh, and and the coaching staff, as well as, as Brady and the, and the rest of this team, is going to is going to probably weigh on this too much as far as the game. They're probably going to look past it quicker or sooner than later, and uh, basically just move on for us. So I basically what I'm saying to you, Tom, is I kind of agree with you as far as I'm not going to put too much stock in it, given it's one game, and uh, this is a team I still think is going to be right in the mix when you talk about the NFC and uh, a possible Super Bowl run again. Yeah, look, I, I think that a lot of things are being overblown. I went to uh, Twitter, and yeah, it's my own fault for daring to, to go to Twitter, but I went to Twitter, and you see, well, if Mike Evans is out there, done, and Godwin is out there, done. Look, the Bucks have the easiest schedule from here on out of anyone in the NFL. The Bucks could kind of sleepwalk through the next couple of games and still make the playoffs. Maybe they won't have the number one overall seed, but they're still going to win that division. They're still going to make the playoffs. They're still going to have home games. And you can win without Godwin. You can win without Fournette. You can win without Evans over the next month of the season. You cannot win without them in the playoffs. But none of their injuries seems like it's going to last into the playoffs. Uh, Mike Evans seemingly the worst, and it, it looks like he's going to miss some time. All right, he as long as they're healthy for the playoffs, that is the big thing. And that, I think, is a, a giant piece that people are missing is because that the Bucks are in this just awful division, and it is kind of just a, a joke. They are going to win this division by default. They are going to win the division. They're going to get a home game. They may not get the number one overall seed, but Chris, I'm not too worried about that if I'm Tampa Bay. I'm not overly concerned about that. What I'm concerned about is get my guys healthy for the playoff run that we are bound to have, not, oh, well, let's gun for that number one overall seed. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if worried is probably a way I'd describe it, right? I mean, it's a... It's going to be a deal where these, these teams are going to go back and forth, whether you're talking about the Los Angeles Rams, whether you're talking about the Green Bay Packers, and, uh, you know, and, and a couple other squads as well, too, in the NFC that are right there, Arizona Cardinals, another team. Uh, it, it's Look, Tampa Bay, they're the defending Super Bowl champions for a reason, okay? Uh, Tom Brady continues to defy uh, logic and, uh, and just human norm with the fact that this guy, yeah, he had a bad game. He, what, 57, you know, QBR. He had, you know, basically threw for a couple hundred yards, no touchdowns, one pick in the game. It was a bad game for him. Uh, you, you know, you're not expecting Ronald Jones to be your lead rusher, you know, you know, moving forward. You're not expecting, uh, you know, the situations like Tom Brady coughing up the pumpkin, you know, when he's trying to rush for a first down in a game like that. He's, those, those are things that were surprising, to say the least, that took place. So, uh, again, yes, it's going it, it, to be a quagmire when it comes right down to it in the NFC. 
And I just think that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be one of those teams that's smack dab in the middle of it. And if there's any team, Tommy, in football, not just the NFC, but in football, that can shake off a loss like this, you know, where you get shut out against your division rival, I think it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I think it's Tom Brady and Bruce Arians and company. So uh, I just think that, yes, I think that we can probably, and I understand, Tommy, as you do, that you jump on social media and on Twitter, and people are going to, you know, some people are going to be the sky is falling, you know, and, uh, and all hope is lost kind of viewpoints. But I just don't see that as a scenario in this situation right here. And then you, you t- start to take a look at next week. And, well, the lines makers agree that they are already opening up as nearly two touchdown favorites over Carolina on the road. And I go, yeah, look, I, you know, they're, they're going to write the ship. Here's what I, I don't understand about, uh, you know, people that I guess they watch the games. And I would go as far as to say they don't understand football. All of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers is the greatest quarterback of all time. Aaron Rodgers uh, and Green Bay Packers are the best team in, in the league. Aaron Rodgers and, and Green Bay Packers. Oh, man, Green Bay is better than Brady. Why? Because of one week. And I go, you know, if Harbaugh didn't make a dumb mistake, or listen, if there, there was a nice play called at the end of the game there, what are we saying about the Packers? Because the Packers played poorly today. And let's not make it out to be anything else than it was. The Baltimore Ravens are ravaged with injuries. They lost two of their starting cornerbacks from an already depleted cornerback crew. They got run all over by a backup running back. Their defense looked pathetic today. Green Bay looked bad. They looked bad. Now, did they look worse than the Bucs? No. The Bucs also played on national TV, and everybody got to see Tom Brady, you know, look poor, look, look bad out there. But Green Bay looked bad as well. And like you said, Arizona looked bad. I wasn't overly impressed with the Giants this week. So, to me, this was a just a bad week for the NFC and the top elite teams in the NFC. But the narrative that is being discussed right now is that the Bucks are not the number one seed, that clearly Rodgers passed Brady in the MVP race, that clearly the Packers have turned around and beaten uh, the Bucks for the number one overall seed. And I'm going, what games did you guys watch? Because if you watch that Green Bay game, they were bad today. They got away with a win. Because Harbaugh had one of the worst coaching days that I've seen in a long time. But they got away with a win barely in a game that they didn't look very good. So I wouldn't be too great about pumping my chest about Green Bay today. I think the narrative, if Brady goes out there and takes care of business, I think the narrative very easily with one one play turning around, Chris, we could be sitting back and going, hey, you know what? Green Bay's in trouble too. So I walked out of that Green Bay game being way more worried about Green Bay and I turn around and I see the, the talking all over uh, all these sports shows all over television going, oh, Green Bay had such a great day. They had a terrible day, and they looked bad. Well, here's the deal, Tommy. This is a perfect description of Green Bay today and that win over Baltimore. They held on to get the victory, right? You had that fourth-quarter strike from Aaron Rodgers, obviously, to Marquez Valdez-Scantling that gave the Packers an 11-point lead. And, uh, by the way, that tied Brett Favre's career tally in Green Bay with 442 touchdown passes. But you had a feeling, Tommy, watching that game. I don't know if you were watching that game play for play. I was. And you had a, you had, you had a belief that the Packers were just going to start pulling away, right? They, had the, they stopped them on uh, four, in basically three downs and out for Baltimore. And you thought that the Packers were going to go right in and score a touchdown to put it pretty much out of reach. 
that was not the case. That was absolutely not the case as uh, the Ravens mounted that rally from that uh, 31-17 fourth quarter deficit by Tyler Huntley, who, quite frankly, uh, had a pretty solid game. It was pretty spectacular, to be honest with you. He had two rushing touchdowns in this day, and the second one uh, pulled them within one point with 42 seconds remaining. Obviously, you know, John Harbaugh rolls the dice and goes for two there. They don't get it, and Green Bay ends up winning. But, no, nobody in their right mind is sitting back and saying, oh, yeah, that was Packer. the Packers just handled their business against Baltimore in that matchup today. No, they survived with the victory. He had, a, he had a, he obviously a decent game from Aaron Rodgers where he throws for three touchdown passes and uh, was a big factor. They were able to get a little bit going on the ground, obviously, with Aaron Jones and Corey and Dylan as well, too, was able to pick up a touchdown on the ground. So that this is not a win that the Packers are going to be gloating about moving forward. That being said, they're right there, Tommy. You know, And as much as it pains me as a Detroit Lions fan to say that, and I'm sure as much as it pains you as a faithful guy of the Chicago Bears – saying that Green Bay, you know, is positive in any way, shape, or form. I have to acknowledge the reality that they're absolutely right there. And, you know, they were able to get a win like this today that, uh, you know, it, quite frankly, they should have – I thought they should have been uh, – uh, won by a lot more. But, of course, it ends up coming down to the wire, and, uh, and uh, they just squeak by in uh, the city of Baltimore there. Well, let's stay with that NFC North and, and your Detroit Lions with just an incredibly impressive victory today. I interviewed Ed Smith um, on the Sports Garden Network show last week. And, um, you know, you guys can go check out that interview, Believe in Betting, the Believe Podcast Network. And it's everywhere, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everything. Um, and Ed basically said going into that Monday night game, the same thing that me and him were talking about was, uh, look, this is a massive game. Just a massive game for the Cardinals, emotional-wise, to get up for a game like this, to be on national TV, to take down the Rams, finally gain some recognition that they don't think that they're getting any respect. He was absolutely in tune with me thinking how massive this game was. They go out there. They basically no-show on that Monday night. The game wasn't as close as the score. They looked bad. And coming into this week, all I continued to say to everybody that would listen was, listen, you know, emotions do play a role in this. And this is a young team that I still believe was poorly coached. I think Kingsbury's a bad coach. It's a young team that I needed to see if the Cardinals were for real. Not necessarily with the Rams game, but I wanted to see how they responded from a loss like that. Well, this is how they responded. And this is why I've been skeptical on the Cardinals all year long. This is why I've called Cliff Kingsbury a bad coach in the league. I don't think he is that guy. This is why I'm not afraid of the Cardinals in the playoffs. It's because of games like this. And look, it's not the Detroit game. It's how did you back bounce back from the Rams game. But Detroit caught them at the right time. And make no mistake, this was not fluky Detroit. This wasn't Detroit pulling weird plays. This wasn't Detroit playing reverses and, and pulling out all the stops under Dan Campbell. No, they beat them just up all day long. St. Brown and Jared Goff, and Goff looked really good against this team. The Lions, if you looked at this game and you didn't know the records of the teams, you would go in here and say, yeah, okay, Lions fully controlled the game. Lions beat them right away from the opening tip, and the Lions just went out there and basically dominated the game. This is the Cardinals team that I think is the real Cardinals team. I don't think they're as bad as Detroit, of course, but I think that they could get beat by anybody on any given day. 
because they are not coached well and they're young and they're inexperienced. I'm not going to overstate this, Tommy. Uh, it, it's not an overstatement. This was the worst loss of any team this season. And that includes, obviously, the Jacksonville loss by the uh, Buffalo Bills earlier on. That includes any of the other teams' losses this season. N- not to mention the obvious where Detroit is a 1-11-1 and team. And, look, I get it. There's a lot of people out there saying, well, they're probably the best 1-11-1 and team in NFL history. You know what? Yeah, that's just fine. Okay? But if you told me that the Cardinals' only offense in this game up and through, up until the beginning of the fourth quarter was two Matt Prater field goals, I would have laughed in your face. I would have said that you were out of your mind. And they made Jared Goff look like an all-pro quarterback today. I mean, that was just ridiculous. The amount, uh, I mean, he was just sprinkling around to everybody, whether it was, uh, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, whether it was Josh Reynolds, whether it was, you know, even Jason Cabinda gets into the mix there in the third quarter. And uh, you pointed it out. This wasn't some squeaker where they went back and forth with field goals and the Lions had to pull it out in the end, you know, in dramatic fashion. This was a butt whooping by the Lions. The Lions beat down the Cardinals today, and it was never really in doubt whatsoever. And, you know, and obviously it gets capped off by a Lions field goal there in the fourth quarter, but it was never in doubt. And Cliff Kingsbury, obviously, after the game, you know, came came out with the quotes, you know, this is not who we are. This is, you know, we got flat out outplayed and got outcoached. And that's all fine and good. But they got to fix things with Arizona because they, I mean, what I just talked about regarding the NFC, and you got, you know, a, a defending Super Bowl champion out there. You got a team up there in Wisconsin that's, that's, that's going to be ready to roll come playoff time. I don't know what it is. I don't know if Arizona's got to figure out a way. You know, uh, obviously they were able to get Edmonds back into the mix, and he was able to do a little bit today. And from a receiver standpoint, Christian Kirk had a decent game, I guess. But they, they got to figure out a way. You cannot lose to the likes of the Detroit Lions at this point in the season Get, when, when you have the goals that the Arizona Cardinals do. And I just thought it was just brutal, and I was pretty much in shock. Uh, of what was transpiring there because I it just uh, as someone who's you know unfortunately had the opportunity to watch a lot of Detroit Lions games here in 2021 and 22 Tommy this was uh, this was not one that I saw coming and as you can imagine I tweet this out and I'm, and I'm sure you know you you've seen a lot of it this was one of those parlay busters this was one of those games where you can't, I don't care how great a handicapper you think you are or you believe you are or, or how you are, this was one of those games that was just a head-scratcher and caught everybody off guard. Yeah, it really did. And it's a, it's a weird thing with the Arizona Cardinals because I see the talent. I get it. Um, I, I, and I don't want to make too much about this one game, but we all sort of saw this coming. And in a way, Chris, I'm kind of glad that it's happening now as opposed to a quick first-round exit and making people believe, well, it was just a fluke. No, 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 it's not a fluke. They were just not that very not, – not as good as people made them out to be. You know, there's no fluke. They're just not that good. And I think that we're starting to come around to that. Uh, Chris, let me switch my attention. We're going to stay in the NFC here. What about the Dallas Cowboys? Cowboys go out there. They get a 21-6 to win. Uh, they handled the Giants relatively well. Jake Crum did have a chance to, to get that backdoor cover at the end there. Couldn't quite get it done. But they handled them very well. 
this is becoming a defensive team now. I mean, that's really what it is. Look, they held Washington to 20, Giants to 6, Washington to 20 last week, 17 to New Orleans. Um, you go back before that, 19 to Kansas City. So they become a defensive team. We know about their big-time rookies on the defensive side. And you go, yeah, I like that it's a defensive team. I like that Pollard still looks like he's got that that big step. And we know Elliott's got problems, but Dak Prescott, you know, the morning shows this morning, what did they sit around and say? Dak's in a slump. Yeah, Jerry Jones said Dak's in a slump. Well, the slump continued. And after a while, a slump stops being a slump and starts becoming the norm. Dak Prescott's last three games, 238 yards passing, 65% completion percentage, 79 QBR um, was against New Orleans. 211 yards passing against Washington. His 56.4 completion percentage. Today, 217 yards against the Giants. He has three touchdown passes and three interceptions in the last three games. Dak Prescott doesn't look right. And you can sit back and have a conversation with me and argue all you want, you, you Dem boys and all you Cowboy fans out there, that you can win with defense, you can win with a running game, and you could win a little bit with defense in a running game. You can certainly win the East with defense in a running game. But you're not winning playoff games when it matters if Dak Prescott's not right. Chris, he hasn't looked right. And I'll go as far as say he hasn't looked right in a while. Even that Kansas City game, look, 216 yards passing um, with two interceptions. It, the Vegas game was an anomaly for both teams. That Thanksgiving game was an anomaly for both teams. Dak Prescott hasn't looked right most of this year. He is in a free fall right now. I think Dallas is a team that got out of there with a win, and you got a lot of questions off of that win as well. You are correct, sir, about questions and about Dak Prescott still being in the slump. I mean, this was kind of a weird one from a scoring standpoint, you know, sandwiched in between Ezekiel Elliott's first quarter touchdown and, of course, you know, that that pass from Dak to uh, Dalton Schultz there. In the third quarter, it was just a field goal fest, right, from Greg Zerline to Graham Gano. Now, you talked about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It looks like they're just going to win the NFC South by default. I mean, how about the Dallas Cowboys when it comes to the, you know, NFC East? I mean, they're just flat out going to win the division by default, you know, sitting there with 10 wins and, and uh, you know, decent separation between teams like Washington and Philadelphia. We're still in the mix from a wild card standpoint, but as far as winning the division, it's going to be, tough sledding to say the least for both those teams but uh yeah i don't think there's any doubt that this is a dallas team that defensively is uh is a stalwart defensive team but they got to figure some things out from the offensive standpoint because if they go up against the likes of a green bay or even an arizona or tampa bay come playoff time and especially if you have to travel to those places and you end up you know, scoring 10 17 points against those teams you're going to be in deep trouble. And so they got they have some things that they need to work on without question down there in Big D. And uh, we'll see if they can kind of shake things out here the final, uh, you know, three, four games of the season. Yeah, and, and you start to look and, you know, the NFC has a lot of question marks. And then I bring up the last NFC game today. And that was San Francisco rolling right along. San Francisco is the most dangerous team, and I've been saying it for about a month now, in the NFC. I called it out on my weekend show, Want to Bet show, every single Sunday. You know, I'm on the air for two hours leading right up into the game, and I called out the Colts uh, more than a month ago. I said, now's the time to jump on them, jump on them for futures play, look at the schedule. And I called out the Niners at the same time. 
Now, everybody seems to have believing me in the Colts. Well, it's time to start believing in these Niners. They can run the ball effectively. They're doing it without Eli Mitchell right now. They can run the ball effectively. They have unguardable guys like Debo Samuel. The way he's being used is unguardable. Ayuk is back being a pretty good player. Jennings is a guy out there. George Kittle's on another level right now. Uh, George Kittle is playing the prime George Kittle. And Jimmy Garoppolo, mistake-free football on the other side. Look, Bosa is, is playing hurt. You wouldn't know it. Their defense is fantastic. And San Francisco is going out there and doing what they're supposed to do. You could tell me, well, you know what? It's just the Atlanta Falcons. But like you said, look, Arizona struggled today, right? San Francisco, was that was another game. Never in doubt, San Fran went in there, handled their business, took care of things. And I will tell you right now where we stand today. And a lot can change in a month. But where stand today, if you got San Francisco against the Cardinals round one, I'm taking San Fran. You give me San Francisco against the Rams round one, I'm taking San Fran. San Fran against the Cowboys? Give me San Fran. San Fran uh, against Minnesota or Atlanta or New Orleans. I'm taking San Fran. I, I would go as far as to say right now where I feel about this team, San Francisco, they might be able to upend Green Bay. And it's possible they uh, upend Brady. I think San Fran is the most dangerous team in the NFC. This was one of those games, too, where I thought there wasn't going to be a whole ton of scoring going on, right? When it was 3-3 in the first quarter and... A little bit surprised, obviously, the, the, you saw the 49ers just kind of flex their muscles there in the middle of the football game in the second and third quarter, and you went from you know Garoppolo to Jennings. You had Jeff Wilson uh, rushing touchdown, and then obviously you mentioned Debo Samuel, as well as uh, check in a touchdown there for San Francisco. This is a, a, a Niners team that uh, can absolutely throw a monkey wrench into the situation in the NFC because they, uh, they, they, can, they can beat the likes of the Los Angeles Rams or the Tampa Bay Bucks, or Arizona, you know, or even Green Bay, in my opinion, and especially the Cowboys. So uh, they're kind of an outlier, this, 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 this Niners team. Am I complete? I mean, do I think they can win a Super Bowl? No, not necessarily, because I just think if they run up against the likes of a Buffalo Bills team or a Kansas City Chiefs team that they would be in trouble. But uh, make no mistake about it, I think they can absolutely come out of the NFC, though. And uh, there could be a scenario. Where, where San Francisco is kind of uh, just gets slept on in the playoffs where, you know, each team they face underestimates them and and they end up coming out on top. So uh, they were able to, to handle, like you said, handle their business against the likes of Atlanta today. Uh, the Falcons, a team that, you know, uh, is, is basically also ran in the NFL right now and just kind of transitioning to try to find out who exactly they are as a team and what their identity is. But uh, I was impressed by the Niners today and uh, the way they were able to kind of pull away in a game that I thought was going to be end up being. Tom, I honestly thought this would be one of those like 16 to 10 games when I, when I initially started watching it and loved it because I had the under in this matchup. And, and then I had to sweat it out there at the end. And I needed a couple of turnovers and a couple of three and out, four downs and outs late in that game for that total to stay under the 48. So, uh, yeah, they're a team that uh, absolutely – is uh, something to look out for in the NFC. Chris, that's the NFC. It, it, it's it's kind of a mess, and we'll get into that. You know, analytics had a lot to play with why you got your under. We, I want to talk about that as well. But we're going to come back. We're going to take a timeout. We'll come back. We'll talk about the AFC because all of a sudden the AFC is just, it is just, I mean, everyone's separated by about a half a game. <laughs> that's what it feels like. Everybody's separated by about a half a game. So we'll get into the AFC games as well. 
We are here for two hours here on Heatwave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com and Chris Wynn. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll be back right after this. The National Desk, a network of nearly 4,000 local journalists cover America's news now. Live up and down the West Coast, Seattle, Portland, Reading, Fresno, Bakersfield, Las Vegas, Reno, live from Los Angeles. I'm Jan Jeffcoat. Choose America's news now. Each weekday morning from the National Desk. Weekdays at 6 on the CW Las Vegas Channel 33 Cable 6. See your Vegas Golden Knights on Tuesday, January 11th against Toronto in the Flight Deck. Presented by Allegiant. The Flight Deck is where all the off-the-ice excitement happens, from the Knights Castle to the Night Line. Tickets in the Flight Deck are standing room only and include all-you-can-eat food, beer, and wine. Tickets start at just $160. Go to lvsportsnetwork.com for the link and use the promo code RADIO. Sponsored by Lerner and Rowe Injury Attorneys and West Star Credit Union. Resale transfer are restricted. Tickets will be delivered by a mobile 48 hours before the game. Hello, everyone. Brent Musburger here, inviting you to the 30th annual Las Vegas Bowl on December 30th. Come see the Wisconsin Badgers take on the Arizona State Sun Devils in Las Vegas' brand-new home on Legion Stadium. All the pageantry, all the thrills, Wisconsin versus ASU. New house, new matchup, new date. Get your tickets today at lvbowl.com. It's a game you won't want to miss. The SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. Come on, everybody. Let's rock. JT The Brick for Michael E. Minden, my go-to jeweler for all the years I've been in Vegas. The number one jewelry experts, they're locally owned for generations, and their reputation is incredible. It's all about customer service, and whenever I've gone to Michael E. Minden's to buy jewelry for my wife or a watch for me or to get a watch repaired, the customer service is second to none. They can customize all different types of jewelry to fit your needs within your budget, and they pay top dollar for inheritance jewelry. So if you have jewelry that you want to trade in, high-end diamonds and gold, go to Michael E. Minden first, because they'll give you the customer service and the best price in town. And with a $150 purchase, get a pair of tickets to see comedy magician Farrell Dillon at Valleys while supplies last. It's JT the Bricks Jeweler. You can't go wrong with Michael E. Minden Jewelers. Hey, Bob, thanks for inviting me to your ultimate tailgate. I thought we were going to watch the game. No, I said come check out the ultimate tailgate in my Chevy Silverado. It's the available multiflex tailgate. Bob, this isn't a tailgate. Sure it is. It flexes into six different configurations to help you work harder. So you didn't invite me to an ultimate pregame tailgate then? Would you have come if I said otherwise? Probably not. The Chevy Silverado with available multiflex tailgate. The strongest, most advanced Silverado ever. See your Southern Nevada Chevy dealers. Enough with the fees already. Bad check fees, credit card fees, late rent fees, and those huge payday loan fees. We can help and safely lend you up to $5,000 in minutes to cover your payments and avoid those fees. checking account, perfect credit, or collateral, and it's 100% free to apply and see how much you qualify for. If you need the loan for one day, one week, or one year, it doesn't matter at the DLC. You only pay interest for the time you have the loan out. There are no application fees or prepayment penalties. Nothing, really. We offer small weekly payments and make it easy to pay your loan back because of our fantastic rates. Join over 250,000 satisfied customers and let us help you out. It's okay to need a loan and borrow money. 
as long as you're getting a fair deal. Licensed by the Data Financial Institutions Division. Customer must meet the normal loan qualifications. Review loan qualifications. Visit us at don'tbebroke.com. Certain limitations may apply. Loans are subject to approval. GiveMeTheVin.com has a five-star Better Business Bureau rating. I'm extremely proud of this. When all of my competitors, the big three in the country, are one star. There's a reason we have five stars. It's because we take care of you, and we are the home of no seller's remorse. Top money, quick transaction. Go to GiveMeTheVin.com. Get your quote. We back it up. GiveMeTheVin.com. America's best car buyer. Seller your car givemethevin.com so easy you can do it in your underwear Lincoln Black Label is your invitation to a uniquely elevated automotive experience revolving around you including pickup and delivery premium maintenance vehicle care Lincoln concierge travel collection and culinary collection Finley Lincoln is here to surprise and delight you all the way through your effortless experience thinking Lincoln then think Finley Lincoln in the Valley Auto Mall Nevada's only standalone Lincoln Black Label dealership All right, guys, welcome back. We are sitting in for two hours here, talking a little NFL action here on Heatwave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com. We're going through everything with Chris Wynn. Chris Wynn is a uh, a part of the Heatwave crew that I don't always get to, you know, have on with me. I I love to to him to jump on and kind of. Cut it up, and it's great after the Sunday. The immediate reactions are fantastic, and I think we both agree the immediate reaction of the Bucks game is just a little crazy right now. I think everybody kind of needs to settle down. The NFC, there's a lot of questions all over the place. Um, so we are going to talk about it. Give us, you know, give us a shout-out, 876-1340, 876-1340, and go check us out at Tom Barton Sports or at HW Sports if you guys want to talk about that as well. Um, let's uh, – Let's move on to the AFC because the while the NFC there's a lot of questions. The AFC it, it's just everyone is just bundled up. And I made a mention at the beginning here, Chris, that yeah. the Bills are a team that I've been backing th- throughout all this. And they lose to the Jaguars. I don't care. I'm not off the Bills bandwagon. They lose, you know, to the Bucks. I don't care. I'm not off the Bills bandwagon. I was not off the Bills bandwagon, and I bet them today. They were my biggest bet of the day. Minus the 11 I got them. It went all the way up to 13. I said, don't even blink. I don't care. They're going to crush this team. And if they don't, it would be the last time that I was basically supporting the Bills. Well, they went out there and they won the game. But you can't say they crushed this team. And they went out there and covered. But you can't say they crushed this team. And I'm not jumping off of the Bills, but I'm certainly not defending them today. I see a lot of problems with this team that I was hoping they would be able to solve against a, a just a beatable just you could go out there and destroy a team like Carolina, and they just didn't do it. A- am I making too much about it after a nice, comfortable win where Josh Allen looked good, the running game actually had some spark, the defense looked good, but it's not the win that I wanted. But this is a Buffalo Bills defense, Tommy, right? They happen to win. I mean, defensively, they can win games by themselves from that side of the football. So that was big for them. Obviously, you know, it was a you know basically a scoreless game there in the first quarter and then obviously buffalo got things going and and rolling big time there in the second quarter and you saw you know josh allen be able to do what josh allen does you know whether it's run whether it's you know throw touchdown passes to stefan diggs and and the guys 
there. That was a team that, you know, look, this is a, a Buffalo's Bill, a game they had to win, right? I mean, there, there's no way. this. I, it was very much the same situation, in my opinion, as Arizona and Detroit. You know, I mean, as, as you expected the Buffalo, but you said it yourself. Tommy, that you were like, you know, yeah, they don't don't worry about it. They're gonna go. They're gonna handle this team, no problem. Well, yeah, they were able to do that, and um, a big part of it. What, look, they weren't, you know, some electric offensive team out there today. Yeah, they were able to get some of their stats, and they were able to to do some things. And obviously, you know, you get Gabriel Davis involved, and you get, uh, you know, uh, Stefan Diggs, as I mentioned before, and Devin Singletary gets the, uh, you know, the sixteen yarder, but. It, you know, it wasn't an overly explosive Buffalo team offensively. This is a team that hangs their hat on defense, and that's exactly why they won this football game today, you know, holding, holding Carolina down uh, where they basically couldn't get a whole lot going on in the matchup. You know, there's not any danger here, Chris, of, of stealing the division, but the mm-hmm. Miami Dolphins are streaking in the right direction. And I, I did my show this morning, and I said, it's kind of funny. The Raiders are ready to throw in the season. The, the Steelers fan base are ready to throw in the season. The Dolphins had the same exact record, and the Dolphins fans were pumped up. Well, look, Dolphins went out there. They struggled a little bit today, but it, they looked like they were having fun. Tua looks real good through another two touchdowns today. They were without their number one player on offense in Jalen Waddle, and still were able to go out there and win the game. And they are back to 500. They are 7-7. Seven and seven. They have a good, talented defense. They have a quarterback that is now progressing, and you see him growing up here. You have Jalen Waddle, who's dangerous. They have a running game. Man, the Miami Dolphins are sitting here at 7-7. Seven and seven. The Miami Dolphins are sitting here. They've won six games in a row. The Miami Dolphins has have a winnable Saints team, a winnable Titans team, and then the Patriots at home at the end of the year. The Miami Dolphins very well be can be talking about playoffs. Absolutely, Tommy. And hey, you know when uh, Christian Wilkins is getting into <laughs> is getting into the act for the Miami Dolphins, and things are going well, right? And uh, you mentioned too, of course. You know he had the touchdown to Devontae Parker. By the way, on a personal note, Tommy, I you know have Jalen Waddle in a couple fantasy leagues, so I was uh, not too happy about him not being able to play. And you are absolutely right. This is a budding NFL star at the wide receiver position, and Miami is very fortunate to have him. He could very well be. Uh, the best receiver taken in the draft in this past draft. So uh, I, I'm absolutely high on Waddle, and all things are looking up for the for this uh, Miami team. This is a squad that uh, obviously you take a look at this division. It's been the Patriots division to lose for you know a, a, a decade plus, maybe two decades plus, and uh, now it's it's good to see as, as someone who's not necessarily a fan of the team in that division. It's good to see that uh, you know there's other squads like the Dolphins, like the like the Buffalo Bills, and uh, maybe someday with the Jets, maybe someday with the Jets, and uh, maybe a little little worry though there in uh, the first quarter there as the Jets took that early lead though Tommy, it wasn't uh, it didn't look like it was gonna be smooth sailing really for the Dolphins in this one, but uh, they were able to get it done, and uh, of course capped it off with uh, the touchdown there to get to 31 with uh, obviously Tua there in the fourth quarter. On out of that third nine play down uh, inside uh, the Jets red zone, so that was that was big for them. Chris, I said it was a beatable Tennessee team coming up for the Dolphins in two weeks. Well, that's because of games like this. It, look, coming into this game, the Tennessee Titans have not scored more than two offensive touchdowns since Week Nine. Uh, Ryan Tannehill has more interceptions and touchdown passes thrown since Derrick Henry went down. People are not realizing how bad this Tennessee offense is. 
I have been a believer that Tennessee has been overrated all year. Coming into the year, I thought they were overrated. They were a product of getting hot right at the right time, right at the right moment. They had a healthy team, and they're, they just don't have those things anymore. They're, they're going to make the playoffs here, okay? They've done enough during the regular season. But this is the one team. I, there's, you can't convince me at all that you can't bet against them consistently going into the playoffs. Now, you get Derrick Henry back. Uh, you get A.J. Brown back. Maybe you have a different conversation. I'm willing to have a conversation about that at that time. But for the next couple of weeks, how can you bet on this team? They are atrocious offensively. Ryan Tannehill, you gave this guy $100 million. Ryan Tannehill looks like pure hot garbage. And all of a sudden, the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of my biggest bets, I, I gave out two massive bets before the year began. My biggest bet of the year, my biggest bet that I've made in five years, and I even had Tim put one of these tickets on uh, in Vegas that he was looking for because I wanted to throw extra money after getting limited in Atlantic City was that Harris would score uh, more than seven touchdowns this year. That one's already cashed. The other one was that the Pittsburgh Steelers were not going to have a losing record this season. And well, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm going, I'm feeling good. I don't know if Pittsburgh makes the playoffs, but maybe this is Ben's last hurrah that he does. To me, Pittsburgh, nice story. It looked good. Uh, I can just sit back and have a conversation about Pittsburgh, and I always give them plenty of credit. This is anti-Tennessee, though. They are a bad team right now, and they are still getting credit for what they did earlier in the season. Until they're healthy, bet against them, bet the under, bet against their offense, because their offense is just hot garbage. There's no question there's reason for concern in Tennessee with the Titans, a team that, uh, as you talked about, look, this is a team that's lost three out of four uh, ever since they beat New Orleans, uh, you know, with that two-point win back in mid-November. Uh, it's been tough sledding, to say the least, for this Tennessee team. with lost to, lost to the likes of the Texans and, uh, and obviously, you know, uh, New England, where they took it on the chin big time against the Patriots up there in Foxborough. And then, of course, the loss today. Now, you, you talked about Pittsburgh. It was kind of funny after the game, Tommy. I don't know if you saw the comments, but the whole, oh, maybe Pittsburgh has a little run in them here at the end of the season. Maybe maybe there's still a little life in this team moving forward after they were just getting just destroyed by everybody, right, coming up into this game. And it was, you know, it was all the chatter was, oh, you know, it's Big Ben, you know, maybe he should have retired, you know, before the season even started. I mean, just how much, the and obviously the injuries they've been dealing with. And uh, you know the COVID nineteen situation with them as well too. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I don't put too much stock into this from the standpoint of the Steelers. To me, this is all about uh, not good things when it comes to the Tennessee Titans, who a team that was you know sitting comfortably at the top of that division right now. Uh, with you got an Indianapolis Colts team just breathing down their neck, one game back in that division, and uh, you got a the one. I mean. And it's not a great situation as far as the rest of their schedule, too. they got to play San Francisco next week. Then they're, they have to uh, take on the Dolphins. And then they're on the road uh, probably going to try to get revenge against the Houston Texans to close out the season. So uh, it, this is not a good situation for Tennessee. You talked about uh, the, with Derrick Henry and the running game. And they still have the even, – even though they had the injury to Derrick, Derrick Henry, they still have the, the, the fifth-best rushing offense in the NFL – that's going to have to be their bread and butter. Yes, they were able to get a Ryan Tannehill touchdown today. But as you pointed out, offense was not there today whatsoever against Pittsburgh. And uh, despite the fact that they had, they what they're up 13 to three in this football game and end up, uh, you know, giving up 16 unanswered points 
to lose against the Steelers. Let's go on to the Bengals-Broncos in what was a surprisingly really good game, but a real boring game too, right? Um, the, going into the half, they both had about 70 yards of total offense. It was a not a great defensive battle. It was just it, the offenses couldn't get anything going. Terrible thing happened to Teddy Bridgewater. The, the Bengals went around. They win the game. They're now 8-6. and six. Five and two away is impressive. Joe Burrow is just not getting credit for what he's doing. The numbers aren't there. 157 and one touchdown. But he just looks in complete command. Um, Joe Mixon went down, which could hurt the Bengals long term. But I don't think people are giving a lot of credit to the Bengals defense. Top five defense against the run in the NFL. Their defense is improving every single week. They're now getting healthier. I'm looking at this Bengals team, and I know that we could have a conversation about the Broncos still being in this thing at 7-7. But to me, this is the Bengals team that I'm going, man, Ravens got all kinds of problems. I don't really believe in Cleveland. Pittsburgh, you just said it. Maybe they do something, but they have a tough road to, to hoe here. The next three games are real tough. Kansas City, Browns, and Ravens for them. And I look at the Bengals, and I go, I think Cincinnati not only is going to the playoffs, but they could win this division here. And, and you start to look ahead, you go, they got the Ravens at home with a banged-up Lamar, the Chiefs at home, and the Browns. They're going to have to earn it here, Chris. But I think that the Cincinnati Bengals are starting to become that team nobody wants to play in the playoffs either. Yeah, you talked about uh, the injuries across the board in this game, obviously very significant. When Tedry Bridgewater went down, you talked about Joe Mixon. I'll be very interested to see, because you're talking about Cincinnati's chances, right, moving forward from, from a playoff standpoint. It's going to be very important whether or not Joe Mixon is out for an extended period of time or exactly what uh, the severity of that injury was. Also, I never, had, I never had a chance to actually see any of this game, Tommy, but I was curious why Jamar Chase had, like, no stats in this game. Did he go out early in the game with no, an injury? I think nope. he, had, he had one catch for three yards. So no, I don't, they you, know, just, you know what I mean? Like, why, how does that even him. happen? They didn't target him. He yeah, I mean, that was play. ridiculous. I, Tommy, I wasn't watching the game, right? And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I flipped over. I'm like, I'm like okay, this is a game. It's kind of back and forth, you know, a field goal. You know, what, what is it, 6-3 at halftime? I'm like, all right, obviously the offenses can't get anything going. But Jamar Chase, one catch for three yards? I'm like, you got to be kidding me, Tommy. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been ripping on Chase for uh, a, a better part of uh, two months here. I, I think Higgins is the better receiver, and I, apparently Joe Burrow thinks so too because he's been going to him a lot more. Uh, we, we didn't talk about one game. One game on the board today, and then in hour number two, I want to look ahead to, to next week, and we got to get into some controversial topics. Uh, mm -hmm. Jacksonville-Houston, there's not much to say here. I, I think the betters around the world just – went crazy on Jacksonville thinking, okay, Urban Meyer's gone. Once Urban Meyer's gone, this is going to be great. All of a sudden, Jacksonville's going to become a dynamite uh, team. They're going to become a, a powerhouse. No, no, no. Just not to be. The Texans are playing well. Um, they're playing hard. They're playing Dan Campbell-type football right now where you look at this and you go, they're, they're just doing what they need to do. Jacksonville is a mess. And to get that out of kind of their heads, they had to go through something this is not a game that we need to spend much time on other than to just say, look, sometimes losing, uh, it's like the Rosie Perez thing. You know, sometimes when you win, you really lose. Well, sometimes losing is better. I know Scott Anson uh, was talking about this on the Red Zone channel. The Jacksonville Jaguars right now hold the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. So despite the loss, Jacksonville, it actually probably helps you out. They have the number one pick in the NFL draft. We, they don't need a quarterback. This isn't the year of the quarterback. This Jacksonville team still has a bright future. We'll get into the Urban Meyer stuff on the other side of the break, but yeah, you know, I didn't watch too much of this game. 
other than to know Trevor Lawrence is struggling a lot. The, I, this Jacksonville team is broken. I didn't expect it to be fixed in one day. I think that they will look better over the next couple of weeks, especially with Bevel running the show. But you can't expect it to happen, even against Texans, even right away, because of what just massive, terrible culture that has been going on there for the last couple of months. Yeah, Tommy, it was kind of funny how the ultimate amount of who cares surrounded this game, even though it's a Jacksonville team, obviously, that had, you know, the higher profile transaction, I guess we can call it, in, in during the week, obviously, with, with uh, their head coach being fired. But uh, right out of the gate, the uh, Houston Texans pretty much uh, grabbed control of this one, right, from the day. And Davis Mills had a pretty decent game for, for the Texans, and it's exciting for Texan fans when you get – you know, a Tremont Smith kickoff return for almost 100 yards, you know, in that first quarter to give him, a, you know, almost a two-touchdown lead in the game. So, yes, I mean, there are bright spots, I think, for both these franchises moving forward when, uh, you know, you've, when you've got young players that look like they can end up being franchise guys and Trevor Lawrence and some other pieces out there for both these teams. But make no mistake about it, it wasn't uh, a game where uh, there was a whole lot of focus or a whole lot of attention given that neither one of these teams are going anywhere fast here in 2021-22. You know, real quick, Chris, I, I know that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you are a sports better. You don't consider yourself a, a professional, but you're a sports better. Yeah. yeah. Um, I always wonder about this. You know, the general feeling is, if from a, a community of just people that are just watching the game, everyone runs away from a game like this. You stay away, you run away from it. Uh, it's two bad teams. I don't want to watch it. I don't really care. But from a professional standpoint, this morning, all I saw was people just loading up on Jacksonville. The line went from uh, minus two all the way up to five and a half. You could even catch a six before the half. And Jacksonville's laying six points with a brand new interim coach. You know, I I jumped all over Houston late in this game. And I jumped on them strictly for the fact that I'm not a line movement guy, but I just didn't understand it. I, I thought that there was tremendous movement in my favor. I thought that it was going to be a three point game one way or the other. Um, is this something from just an amateur standpoint and somebody that just, you know, bets for, for fun like you do, um, but you have the intelligence to know? Is it something that you look at and you go, I'm just staying away from it because I don't want to watch it? Or do you actually go out there and you go, you know what? I can make some money on this garbage game. Well, here's the deal, and I'll speak for the every man, right, and the every woman who is not someone who's a professional who looks at this game. There is a viewpoint from a lot of us, I think, that, you know, yes, that this is a Jacksonville team, call it what you want, that's going to circle the wagons, right? It's going to rally around the troops because now their coach is gone, a coach that, we, that uh, you know, everybody, you know, basically, whether you're inside the organization or outside the organization, understood that Urban Meyer had lost the locker room, had lost the respect of those guys in there. And so what's your natural reaction is for somebody – that seeing that circumstance, Tommy, your natural reaction is, oh yeah, you know, maybe it's they're better off. It's addition by subtraction. And so that's probably why you had a lot of the public saying, oh, you know what? I, I do like Jacksonville in this matchup because there's also the perception, again, I'm speaking for the everyman, okay? Just the average person out there that's thinking both these teams are on an even keel from a talent standpoint, right? And, from a, and basically from a record standpoint. So you're not giving one uh, huge edge over the other. And so that I think that had a lot to do with it. The whole the whole viewpoint regarding Urban Meyer and his firing, I think, played a lot into it 
as far as the public's concerned, not necessarily as far as the sharps are concerned or as far as the professional betters concerned. And uh, the result was what you got. You got you know a Houston Texan team that basically went out there and uh, and uh, took care of business. So uh, that's kind of my viewpoint on it. And uh, and you know as someone who does like to partake in the parlays and uh, and uh, and the occasionally uh, obviously myself I'll lay some straight bets out there too that uh, that aren't exactly you know they're not rooted in some kind of deep seated uh, analysis right or you know analytics or any type of uh, strategy in that way it's more of a feel and uh, you just and and this is the kind of game obviously that a lot of you know the, the average betters that's the way they're going to view it. All right, Chris, look, let's take a quick timeout. Hour number two, I want to take a look at some of the interesting games that are coming up next week. But we do have eight NFL games in a 10-game span, so we'll take a peek at that. Talk a little bit about the COVID, the ridiculous, moronic, and idiotic way that the NFL has handled this and continue to handle this. But it's also run a little rampant in the NBA. College basketball is getting canceled. Uh, I know the Maple Leafs and some NHL, so we'll get into that as well. And I want to hear your guys' opinions on analytics. Chris, I don't know what your opinion is on this, but we have to get into it because the analytics community and the regular sports fan are battling it out. And this is a win in the column for anybody that is against analytics. This weekend was a bright, shining moment for all of them. So let's go take a quick timeout. We'll come on back right after this, right here on Heatwave Sports. The Vegas Golden Knights host the Tampa Bay Lightning Tuesday at 6 on Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. KKGK Las Vegas. The Heat Wave Sports Show is owned and produced by Tim Unglesby. All opinions expressed by the host or guests are their own and are not endorsed by either radio station KRLV Management or any of their advertisers. All right, guys, we are back just about hour number two here. And that was our, our quick top of the hour break here, Chris. And uh, we have a lot to get into. I, I mentioned before I want to get into the games of, of next week. And before I get into that, I want to get into, you know, this idea of the analytics. Because, you know, I, I think that we sit in an area where there's a lot of gray. I think there's a lot of gray here in the analytics department and a lot of gray in the analytics department of you have to be all the way one way, all the way, the other way. You know, when Brandon Staley made the decision the other night, um, basically to just go 100% analytics, I took to Twitter, I went to Tom Barton sports and I, and I think I'm going to have a video on this this week, by the way, um, all the, all you guys that are supporting me on YouTube, I am now over 1,000 followers. My Urban Meyer rant got over 1,000 views. So please keep on following, man. Uh, this is a, a new platform for me. I'm really enjoying it. I think I'm going to have this, this conversation about analytics. But you guys get it first here. I went to, to Twitter and I basically, I didn't rip apart analytics. I just had the conversation about analytics. And the conversation that I had about analytics was basically, look, there's, there's nothing in sports betting. There's nothing in sports. There's nothing in the game. There's nothing in coaching. And really, there's nothing in life that has to be so black and white. And I thought that Brandon Staley didn't kind of read the room. He didn't read the game. And he went full on analytics. 
the pushback that I got from the analytics community was absolutely ridiculous. Basically, well, you do that every time. It doesn't matter. And that exactly is what exactly what I'm talking about. I don't think that you do. I don't believe that in a game where you can tack on three points, go into the locker room and feel good for a, a, about a big long drive, that you go for it in that spot. It wound up biting him in the butt. Okay. The Falcons today, they went pure analytics. In the fourth quarter, they are going to need, in some way, shape, or form, 18 points. They had the ball inside the 10-yard line twice in the fourth quarter alone. They did it in the first quarter as well, inside the five-yard line, and came away with zero points. The kick field goes there, guys. Yeah, you know, you, you have a chance. You have a chance. But they didn't do that. They decided not to. The Ravens lost the game today because John Harbaugh went too far into his analytics. And I'm not only talking about the end of the game, which was a stupid mistake. Do not tell me that that was the right call. It was a dumb mistake. You have an opportunity to go into overtime. You're going to push this on your rookie backup quarterback? or Well, backup, not a rookie quarterback. Are we joking? He also went for it from his own 26-yard line on fourth down. His own 26-yard line with 12 minutes to go in the game and down two scores. Why are you going for it on your own 29-yard line or 26-yard line, whatever it might be? Analytics lost the game today because John Harbour was too just read to analytics. So Brandon Staley lost the game because he went pure analytics, defended it, and said, I'll do that every time. Harbaugh lost the game today because multiple times in that game, he went for it based on pure what did the book say. What did the book say? And he said, I'll continue to keep doing that every time. The Falcons went pure analytics three times inside the 10-yard line in obvious kick-a-field-goal situations, walked away with zero points. The Falcons didn't lose the game today because of analytics, but they certainly got blown out because of it. And then you had the night game with the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints got a win today. You know what? The Saints kicked field goals. They kicked field goals all day long. And they kicked field goals in spite of a lot of people screaming analytics. And what you should do, especially with a running quarterback and the way that they were having success and their defensive success. But they played it the old school way and they walked away with a win. This is to say that analytics need to be a part of your decision making. But Chris, you've got to read the room. You have to read the momentum of the game. You have to read the situation of the game. You have to know if you have a backup quarterback in there. You have to know if you have a running quarterback, how that defense plays. You have to know, like Brandon Staley didn't understand, tacking on three after a long drive and going into the locker room with your head held eye tacking on three, you know, if you lose that, well, now you lost that momentum going into that locker room. That will hurt you more than help you. What is your take on analytics and how much they should be a part of the game? Well, I think it's, it's a foregone conclusion that they are absolutely going to be part of the game for years to come. Look, this is something that's been around for decades, Tommy. Uh, and because of, you know, obviously the recent developments in technology, uh, recent advances in, you know, advances in data collection and management technology, basically broaden, right, the whole scope of uh, – significantly when it comes to analytics and look at you can use data and statistics in many ways and it can be you know it can it has become basically pro prolific throughout mo most major sports not just the nfl i mean most major sports are using it the problem everybody runs into and this is goes this kind of goes back to what i was talking about regarding you know people who are the average casual betters as opposed to 
you know, handicappers that make take a deeper dive and will, you know, uh, use all sorts of numbers and uh, and 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 analyze things in that way. The the rub is trying to find a balance between, you know, your your data analysis and sports analytics from a practice of you know on field application, and also having a feel right as a coach. And being in a situation, for example, we just talked about the Baltimore Ravens, the Ravens game, right? Where you know, John Harbaugh, last time I checked, you guys are two for seven when it comes to, you know, two-point conversion, you know, uh, being able to actually pull it off. You know, I mean, I, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to sit back and say, hey, you know what, maybe you should probably just get run Justin Tucker out there, kick the extra point and go to overtime and take your chances, you know? I'm just breaking that down from a one-play standpoint in one game. But my, 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 my entire, you know, uh, answer to this is tied into that. We have to find a way, right, where you can make decisions on the field where you're trusting your gut, call it intuition, call it instinct, call it whatever you want to call it. But you're also, you know, someone who can use the numbers in a way that's beneficial to you, your coaching staff, your organization, and to your team on the field where you know you can you can use it in the best way possible that's probably my the, you know the best answer i can give you i mean i'm not someone who's you know uh overly involved in crunching the numbers tommy as you can imagine i'm not some you know that's not necessarily my thing but i believe that i, I that's my answer to that question would be you got to find a balance when it comes to you know how you're using sports analytics and how you know uh you're you're you know, your impressions as a coach or as a team in on-field situations where you're actually applying those analytics. Yeah, you know, I worry about it because in Major League Baseball, Chris, we've gotten to a point where guys like Aaron Boone really aren't even allowed to set their own lineups, right? Because analytics is running it. And you could have robot managers and robot coaches out there if we're getting into a position where you don't read kind of the room. Um, I have defended Harbaugh on numerous occasions. I have defended Harbaugh many, many times. I usually defend people for being aggressive. Tonight, you know, you lost the game because of analytics. Brandon Staley, you lost the game because of analytics. Atlanta Falcons, eh, you didn't lose the game because of analytics. But you know what? You weren't in the game because of analytics. And we have to start being able to call out that sometimes the failure is, is not the right choice. People go, well, you know, it was still the right process, even though it didn't work out. I get that argument. I understand it. But there are certain times where you could have hindsight as twenty twenty, and then you can say, wait a minute, this is going to be wrong before the play takes place. And before those plays take place, in a lot of these cases, we're sitting back and we're going, no, 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 no. We called that. We called that as being wrong before it happened. And the younger coaches uh, get, the more analytics are going to be a part of this. But we still watch, and we still watch guys like Bill Belichick and Andy Reid be the old school guys and they play the game by their gut at times. They read the room. They read backup quarterbacks, momentum, the way a guy's getting pushed around. You know, one of the things about football is that for people that didn't play, and you don't have to play at an elite level, right? If you played high school ball, you know what I'm talking about. People that don't never played, it's easy to look at analytics and just say, sure. If you're running the ball, and you are beating up on a defense and beating up on a defense and beating up on a defense. 
if the book says pass, sometimes you continue with the run, right? I mean, sometimes you just do it. And Belichick just proved that on a Monday night game in a windy condition that throw analytics away. If he played that game by analytics, that game may not have been won. And I would go as far as to say would not have been won. So I know that the analytics community is going crazy today because they were shown to be wrong and they don't like to be wrong. But there are times where analytics goes too far. And I think we saw gleaming just in-your-face examples of that over the last seven days. I, I think that Brandon Staley lost a game like that, and I think that Harbaugh lost. And I'm not even talking about that last play, which was horrible. There's no reason, no reason you should ever go for it from your own 26-yard line with 12 minutes to go in a game in a winnable game. And that's exactly what happened. And he got stopped, and I think that's the difference in that game. Well, here's a quick thing to you, Tommy, regarding sports analytics and the gut, right? And and the and what sports is all about. It's not just about numbers, man. You know what I mean? Look, I get it. When you, when you're talking about analytics, it's about data that's curated and optimized to improve accuracy, right? And the usability of the results. And you want you know teams teams love to use stats. They use observations and intuition to make important decisions about drafting or recruiting athletes or assessing player performances. I get all that. You know what I mean? But there's also an element to sports, okay, where you have a player that does the improbable, right? You have somebody that comes out of nowhere and does something spectacular. You have the guy who gets drafted out of Division Three Mount Union and ends up in the NFL because, you know, he takes advantage of an opportunity and he builds on that. And you can't measure that through statistics. You can't measure that through data collection, or assessing player performance, you know? And look, I get it. Statistics make it, they play an important role, right? When you're talking about evaluating player performances and you know, there's high-powered analytic tools that can now be used. You get more a clear, detailed picture of, of said player's performance to kind of make informed decisions, right? About uh, utilization of your talent and building your organization or your team, whatever sport it is. But you have to... Sports, I mean, there's that's why emotion is tied so much into sports, right? And the human element is in sports because people do the improbable, right, Tommy? They go out there and there are situations where a guy like a Kirk Gibson is hobbling up on one leg and goes up there and hits a bomb to win a World Series game. Or you get a, a guy like an Emmett Smith whose shoulder is just destroyed because of a series you know, three minutes ago, and he goes out there and is able to score the game-winning touchdown. And these are things that you cannot measure. These are things that make sports great. And there has to be, there has to be, and I'll end it with this. There has to be, Tommy, a balance between the two of them. Uh, Otherwise, it's just, you know, you're going to run everything by the numbers. You're just going to do everything by the numbers. And that's how you're going to gauge everything. And that's how you're going to amass the situation. Look, I understand Moneyball, right? With Billy Bean, it was all fine and dandy. And how many all championships cool. did, did Billy Bean they, win? How many? How many World Series did they win, Tommy? How exactly. many World Series did the Oakland A's win? Right? How many? I mean, come on. Did they win? So yeah. So there's a place for it in sports, without question, for the reasons that I mentioned earlier. But there also is the, you know, there's other elements that come into play and that need to be focused on if you're going to be a franchise that ultimately finds success. 
Chris, using that uh, analytical brain, <laughs> let's go over some of the games uh, next week. Now, me and Tim went over the games yep. that, that were pushed off. So, San Francisco-Tennessee, Thursday night game. I think I made it very clear who I like in that game. I think Tennessee is just um, in a downward spiral. San Francisco opens up as three-and-a-half-point favorites. You can still get it three over at Circa. I, I, look, first glance, I'm all over San Fran. You can't, can't convince me differently. I think San Fran is one of the more dangerous teams in the NFL. I think you're with me, so we don't have to spend too much time on this one. But it is interesting that the number is only three at Circa, uh, three and a half across the board everywhere else. I think it's a gift. Yeah, it's a mindset basically for the 49ers, Tom. You're right, keeping up with the Joneses as far as the NFC West is concerned and the NFC as a whole, period. So I absolutely do expect San Francisco to go out there and handle their business. And I still can, I still think that this is a Tennessee team that is going to continue to reel uh, you know, we'll see exactly what, where they are from an injury standpoint. And uh, if they're able to get some guys back and able to get, you know, that offense back to, you know, doing what it is they need to do to, to, to start winning football games. But I think this is another spot where San Francisco is absolutely the team to look at in this matchup between these two teams on Thursday. Christmas Day, we got two real good games of separation type of games. Uh, Green Bay, minus seven and a half against Cleveland. We don't know how healthy Cleveland's going to be, but they should look a lot more healthy for that game than they are right now. Uh, it's up to eight and a half at Circa. It's up to eight uh, in some other spots across the board. Look, you just don't bet against Aaron Rodgers at home in Green Bay. You just you do not do it. I, I put out the numbers uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it's it. I don't think they lose the game, but it's a game where I can see Cleveland giving them a little bit of fits if they're healthy. you got to check on the status of Hunt. Got to make sure that Chubb is okay. Let's see how Baker looks. I don't think we could really get into this game too much because of that. But at first glance, you don't bet against Aaron Rodgers at home in Green Bay. And then Arizona against Indy. Indy's red hot. Indy has the long uh, extra break here. Arizona coming off of back-to-back losses, a bad loss. They're down to one. This was supposed to be the look-ahead line was five. They're down to minus one. I wouldn't be surprised if they were home underdogs in this spot. As much as I'm down on Arizona and as high as I am on the Colts, this is going to be a tough game. Arizona back at home could surprise people if they go too crazy. And already all the money is coming flowing in on Indy. Obviously, this is a Cleveland Browns team that a lot of us had pegged to possibly win the AFC going into this season. Right now, where they stand, and we're going to start talking about this, obviously, the COVID-19 impact. No team has been more impact in the last week and a half when it comes to COVID-19 than the Cleveland Browns, especially at the quarterback position where you go from, you know, Baker Mayfield, who tests positive. Of course, Case Keenum ends up testing positive. Uh, Nick Mullins is signed. He apparently is not going to be able to go. So it's, it's just a weird situation. We don't even know yet what the deal is tomorrow, okay? A matter of basically hours away. I don't. I, I personally, myself, don't know what the situation is regarding the Browns as far as players that could play or not play in the games against the Raiders tomorrow. So, uh, Tommy, I, 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 hopefully you can enlighten me on that because I'm not sure exactly what the situation is. I know I, I thought there's like 20 players still that were dealing with the COVID-19 protocol situation with Cleveland. So in that game, so it's tough to kind of you know forecast what this team's going to be able to do. You know, coming up just a matter of uh, a few days after that, in which uh, they're playing the Raiders on a, on, you know, in of course an NFL schedule that's got all jumbled up and uh, and bounced around here 
in, in the past 72 hours. So uh, interesting game. You talked about the Indianapolis Colts. This is a fun team to me because I think, you know, they, you, as you mentioned, are playing really well right now. Jonathan Taylor we're talking about, obviously, is a guy that's been much talked about and is basically uh, grasped the mantle of being the best running back in the NFL right now. And it, this is a team that defensively, I, I think people kind of sleep on this team defensively. I, 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 they, they, when you talk about the best defenses in the NFL, not a lot of mention of the Indianapolis Colts, and I really think you should as far as this team's concerned. So they are absolutely a team that uh, I think could win that football game and, and could be absolutely live in that situation. Well, here's the insight for that game. We won't know anything until the morning, but what we do know is that uh, Nick Chubb's going to be very tired. Dearness Johnson's going to be very tired. <laughs> uh, they are going to run, 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 run. Uh, David Njoku has cleared COVID-19, I can tell you that. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Rashad Higgins, they have also are going to be able to suit up. So it's really about the quarterback that we don't know, but we will find out tomorrow morning. They're going to try to take a second test tomorrow to get it going. Uh, we talked about Tampa Bay, Carolina. I don't want to go really into that one too much. Giants, Philly, can't talk intelligently about that until we already know with the Philly game. Um, Houston Chargers is an 11-point line. I think it should be, although Houston is playing a little, a little spunky. What about Atlanta, Detroit? A game nobody cares about. Detroit, again, catching points. Catching points, four and a half. Um, I know it's on the road, but that's an interesting one. And then this game, which gets real intriguing. Cincinnati's laying three against the Ravens in Cincinnati. This is kind of one of those grab-the-division games if you're Cincinnati. I think Lamar will be back considering that he was almost back for this game uh, tonight. I think he will be back. But Cincinnati's turning heads, and Cincinnati looks good. Is this the moment that Cincinnati can step up and actually say, you know what, we're not a, hey, nice story. We're the dominant team in this division. Or does Baltimore take advantage? I tend to think that Baltimore as an underdog is almost too good to pass up. Yeah, I do like Cincinnati in this spot, and uh, there's a couple of reasons. You saw in the game, obviously, against the Broncos today, where they were able to kind of shut things down from a from a wide receiver standpoint. I already pointed out, obviously, uh, what they were able to do as far as Denver's. I mean, obviously, obviously, Tim Patrick got the one touchdown, but Noah Fant was pretty much non-existent. Well, by the way, who's the best player, basically, for the Baltimore Ravens from an offensive standpoint, especially recently? That's, of course, Mark Andrews, the tight end for Baltimore. So I think that uh, Cincinnati can cause all kinds of problems for the Ravens. And if you have a situation where, uh, you know, this is a Baltimore team that's going to have to, even even with Lamar Jackson back, are the Ravens going to have to go out there and start slinging it around to, to kind of keep pace with this, with this Cincinnati Bengals offense? I think so. Now, a lot of this, of course, rests on the availability of uh, Joe Mixon or what they're going to be able to do from a running back standpoint for Cincinnati that's obviously imperative and you got to get Jamar Chase back into the mix and be you know be that number one guy that they are along with Tyler Boyd in that wide receiving core for Cincinnati but uh, I like their chances a lot I think this is a prop you know looking as far ahead as we are looking I probably would take a look at the Bengals and, and probably take a shot on them in that matchup with the Baltimore Ravens Rams Minnesota could get interesting we'll see with this Rams team uh, Jets Jacksonville nobody cares about but the Jets are favorites. Ooh, those are those are harsh words. Uh, Jose Volante out there probably cringing. The Jets are actually favorites. Uh, ooh, weird spot. Seattle, Chicago, nobody cares about, and we'll find out. That both of them are still yet to play. Um, then you get into Pittsburgh, Kansas City. KC is a ten and a half point favorite. 
against that good defense. The total has already dropped from 48 to 46. You know, I'm tempted to almost take Pittsburgh in the spot just early on because Kansas City's playing games with defense. Pittsburgh's playing games with defense. It's hard to get a blowout double-digit win if you got two good defensive teams. My first glance here is that Kansas City's a little overrated. Pittsburgh's a little underrated. Ten and a half might look good. Yeah, I do like ten and a half with this Pittsburgh Steelers team. Now, look, I, it, this is absolutely a game that could land on ten, to be quite honest with you, because I, I am a big believer in the Chiefs. I think that they are uh, righting the ship in such a way that they are, in my opinion right now, the favorite to win the Super Bowl. That's how uh, I'm impressed I've been with Kansas City, the way they kind of being able to pull them, you know, pull their head out of their backside, let's put it that way, with uh, the likes of, of Travis Kelsey and some of these other guys that I thought were just kind of treading water there throughout the middle part of the season. That being said, I mean, this is a, you know, a Pittsburgh team where you, look, I like Najee Harris, okay, in the backfield, and you like, uh, you know, a couple of pieces and Johnson, some others at, at the wide receiver position for them. But, you know, how much can Big Ben uh, hang with the likes of uh, Pat Mahomes and company? I don't know if that's, if that's uh, really a possibility. I like what Kansas City brings to the table, obviously, with both Williams and uh, Edwards Alaire in the backfield, uh, with Williams taking kind of a bigger role because of uh, you know Edwards Alaire being banged up this season. So uh, uh, this is, I mean, I, it's tough when you're talking about double-digit uh, points spread, Tommy. You know, in, uh, in in a game where it, look, it's not a division game, but it's still kind of a rivalry game between the Steelers and the Chiefs. Uh, it gets kind of dicey. I, but I, yes, I'd probably be on board with you and probably lean a little bit towards Pittsburgh in this matchup given I think it could absolutely land uh, on one side or the other of the hook. Dallas-Washington gets interesting. That's another 10-point spread. It gets interesting to see if Dak um, can fix things. Uh, Dak absolutely owns Washington. He's 8-1 uh, and one over the last you know, nine games against them. He has big-time passing numbers. Miami-New Orleans on Monday night should be really interesting as well. Um, Miami, if they keep winning, look, to me, Miami, New Orleans, and Denver, Vegas next week, they're elimination games. If Denver or Vegas lose that game, they're out of the playoffs. If Miami, New Orleans uh, lose that game, I think they're out of the playoffs. Is that fair? I, I mean, look, I, I, I think they might all be out anyway, <laughs> all four of them, right? Uh, but New Orleans winning here, they're three-and-a-half-point favorite. Vegas is a pick em against Denver who you know, will look uh, likely be without Teddy Bridgewater. I think I could pretty much say that without being a medical professional. But I think that these are elimination <laughs> games. I think next week we're going to have Denver, Vegas, Miami, New Orleans elimination games. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, you're talking about teams that are floating around 7-7, seven and seven, right? 6-8. and eight. So they're right around there. And teams like Minnesota is, you know, where you, you, you think from a talent standpoint, they should absolutely be up there and uh, should be able to compete for a playoff spot. But they're... They're just going to be running up against quality teams, whether it's the Los Angeles Rams, you know. And uh, and but that Saints game is interesting. I, I kind of wanted to pick your brain because I, we look, we haven't dived too much into like individual players and what you think. But uh, Taysom Hill is just—he's just a weird. Uh, he's weird to watch, Tommy, because like, yeah, I, I want to say that he's not an NFL quarterback. I want to so bad say that. I, I don't know how this guy is out, but he goes out there and he drops dimes like he. Had that one throw in the game today where I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like that, like there are you know, barely a handful of QBs in this league that can make that throw when he drops a dime in there and uh, he's able to do it. I, I, it, it, it maybe, maybe the Saints will be okay 
with the likes of Taysom Hill there as the signal caller for New Orleans, Tommy. Uh, yeah, no, he's not an NFL quarterback. <laughs> okay, so then I'm right then. That's what you're saying. <laughs> so, my initial, so my initial reaction was right, Tommy, is what you're saying. <laughs> I completely agree with you. Yeah, he's not an NFL quarterback. They're getting, it, they're getting by with, you know, smoke and mirrors here. They're doing it a fun way. They're, they could win a game here or there. They could surprise some people. You know what I, what I like in Taysom Hill, too? Um, he's Navy. He, he's Army's offense, right? Hey, yeah. you have a couple of games. If you don't prepare for them, oh, man, this this they can, they can come up and bite you. They're going to put up a good effort here or there, and they're, they're going to do it, but they can't sustain it long term. The more tape that is on Taysom Hill, the more the teams will be able to figure him out. He got a win tonight. He didn't get a win tonight. The defense got a win tonight. I think that Miami-New Orleans game is going to be real interesting. And then, of course, before we go to the break, Buffalo-New England, that is the big game. New England is a a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Bill Belichick absolutely just has figured out how to stop this Buffalo team. But it's not going to be windy this time. I don't think that they're going to let Mac Jones throw it three times. And let's just be honest with ourselves. Everybody's going crazy about Mac Jones and how good he is. He's rookie of the year. and He looks great. He looks poised. He looks everything. Well, New England didn't trust him to throw it into the wind that night. Now, they didn't need to, but you know what? Dawson Knox catches that ball, and they lose that game. And we have a different outlook on Mac Jones. Mac Jones gave that game away against Indianapolis. He looked bad. So Mac Jones has looked bad now in back-to-back games. Mac Jones has looked bad. Not, Not mediocre, bad. So now he gets Buffalo again, a team that they didn't even want him to throw against. They didn't even want him to take a shot against. I'm looking at Buffalo and I'm saying, if there was ever a spot to buy on a a potential AFC champion at plus points, this might be it, but I cannot do it. I don't have the guts. I think this line skyrockets. It opened up, you know, I know early money came in on Buffalo. I think this skyrockets. I think this gets to three and the public is going to be all over New England. I just don't understand why people would be shocked or surprised that Mac Jones you know, isn't just tearing it up every week. He's a rookie quarterback, you know, and it, you know, his first year in the system in the NFL, it's not any shock to me whatsoever. Now, look, I mean, he didn't have a horrendous game, did he? I mean, he was, he almost threw for 300 yards a couple of times. Obviously, but look, as a team, the Patriots were atrocious because they couldn't do anything until the fourth quarter, right? I mean, the game was not even, it was, it wasn't even a football game until the fourth quarter where the Patriots kind of, you know, uh, if you hadn't watched any, not one down of that football game, you'd have said to yourself, oh, yeah, the Colts, uh, I guess they they pulled the win. I guess they won the game, but it wasn't in a spectacular fashion. But the fact of the matter was it was, you know, it was it was 20 to nothing, you know, before you could blink an eye. And the Colts, you know, looked spectacular, obviously, with, you know, Jonathan Taylor having a monster game as far as yardage is concerned. And, uh, you know, and the, the Patriots needed the likes of Hunter Henry to step up and have a big game for them to, uh, you know, to, to even make that respectable. So, uh, like you said, the Patriots are a team that uh, have to figure some things out. Now, look, from a matchup standpoint, though, and when you take a look at teams when they match up, and obviously the Patriots and the Bills are in the same division, and we saw what the Patriots were able to do against the Bills in the last game. So that's a concern if you're Buffalo, but not exactly a great showing coming off the loss to Indianapolis, and uh, you would think that uh, Bill Belichick and uh, the powers that be there in New England would try to uh, make sure that they can rectify a few things before they go into that matchup. 
should be a, a real good week. We do have eight NFL games uh, starting uh, as of yesterday in 10 days. So COVID ran rampant, um, but it's given, us, it's given us a lot of games. Let's take a time out here, Chris. It'll be our last time out. When we get back, I want to get your opinion on the just mess, mess that the NFL is handling this COVID situation. And we will take uh, a, a couple of calls on the Urban Meyer if you guys want to still get into that. And I, I don't know how Chris feels about it, but I think I have an idea how you feel about the Urban Meyer situation. <laughs> Plus, uh, real quick before we do go to break, Antonio Brown probably going to be back with the team. And, man, do they need him now. Um, good thing they didn't kind of just release him because Godwin might be out for a little while. Evans might be out for a little while. Fournette might be out for a little while. So Antonio Brown to save the day. Yeah, that's very possible. All right, let's take a quick time out. Come on back right here on Heatwave Sports. See your Vegas Golden Knights on Tuesday, January 11th against Toronto in the Flight Deck. Presented by Allegiant. The Flight Deck is where all the off-the-ice excitement happens. From the Knights Castle to the Night Line. Tickets in the Flight Deck are standing room only and include all-you-can-eat food, beer, and wine. Tickets start at just $160. Go to lvsportsnetwork.com for the link and use the promo code RADIO. Sponsored by Lerner and Rowe Injury Attorneys and West Star Credit Union. Resale transfer are restricted. Tickets will be delivered by a mobile 48 hours before the game. JT the Brick for Michael E. Minden, my go-to jeweler for all the years I've been in Vegas. The number one jewelry experts, they're locally owned for generations, and their reputation is incredible. It's all about customer service, and whenever I've gone to Michael E. Minden's to buy jewelry for my wife or a watch for me or to get a watch repaired, the customer service is second to none. They can customize all different types of jewelry to fit your needs within your budget, and they pay top dollar for inheritance jewelry. So if you have jewelry that you want to trade in, high-end diamonds and gold, go to Michael Minden first because they'll give you the customer service and the best price in town and with a $150 purchase get a pair of tickets to see comedy magician Farrell Dillon at Valley's while supplies last it's JT the Bricks jeweler you can't go wrong with Michael E. Minden Jewelers Hi, it's the Herd. In sports, we often talk about a difference maker. Well, in business, there are difference makers as well. Ford Country in the Valley Auto Mall is one of them. With every new vehicle purchase, you get the Ford Country difference. Free dent scratch, windshield repair, and key replacement for a full year. Yeah, in addition to great service and unbeatable pricing, you also get the game-changing protection. It matters exclusively at Ford Country in the Valley Auto Mall. Why would you buy anywhere else? Bankruptcy, get your bankruptcy here. You, ma'am, you look like you've got a ton of debt. Well, step on up. I've got your bankruptcy for you right here. Leave me alone. I don't want to file bankruptcy. But you've got debt, right? Practically everyone in Las Vegas has $10,000 or more in credit card debt. That means you should file bankruptcy. It's the only thing I sell here, so it must be your only option. No, it's not. I already went to Panda. You, you what? Why did you? I went to Panda. They told me about all my options. We talked about bankruptcy, but for me, that wasn't the best option. In fact, here's the Panda now. Not Panda. Thanks, Panda. If you've got debt, make sure you call a full-service debt relief law firm, not an attorney that only sells bankruptcy. Call Panda. We'll sit down with you and discuss your options for getting out of debt, including bankruptcy and debt settlement. Then we'll work to pick the best plan for you. Associates, 
Las Vegas never sleeps, and neither does ZipZap Auto. Now open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. ZipZap Auto offers repairs, smog tests, oil changes, you name it, 24 hours a day. Plus, free diagnostics with qualifying repairs. ZipZap Auto will come to you anywhere in the valley and will tow your vehicle for free. Plus, loan you a car for free. Don't let your vehicle needs slow you down. Call Zip Zap Auto and keep rolling. 702-644-1400. That's 702-644-1400. All right, guys. Back here on Heatwave Sports. Tom Barton from TomBartonSports.com sitting in with Chris Wynn. We are going over everything in the world of sports tonight got about a half hour left. We're going to start hitting on some controversial topics. We're going to get into it. You guys want to write me at Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter at HW Sports as well. Guys, go check out uh, my podcast as well. Believe in Betting is the podcast. I just had Luke Diamond on talking about uh, the Indianapolis Colts earlier today. And then I flip it over and I make a little podcast out of it. I also do the midweek podcast as well. Uh, So you guys go check that out. That is Wagering Week. If you guys are Ivy League fans, I'm also doing that as well. Yeah, I'm a busy guy. It's Believe in the Ivy, B-L-E-A-V, Believe in the Ivy Leagues, and Believe in Betting. Uh, plus, I, I said it, guys. Look, my YouTube channel is up and running. My YouTube channel is, uh, you know, something I'm starting out new. But I want to say thank you today. This morning, I actually hit 1,000 followers. So 1,000 followers. I got about 1.1 thousand followers and views every single time I do it. So I know you guys are out there. I know you guys are uh, watching. I got to get that. You got to boost those numbers up. But I've been doing this for about a month or so. So let's get those numbers up. And, of course, TomBartonSports.com. Go check out TomBartonSports.com. In a weird irony, um, because I don't play a lot of NBA games, I'm undefeated in the NBA. Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Me and Tim were talking about that. He said, I'm not even watching the NBA this year. I said, well, you know, I'm picking my spots, and uh, I'm undefeated in the NBA. I'll take that. All right, let's get into it. You know, I, I gave you my opinion last night on the ridiculous COVID issues that the NFL is having. And a lot of you guys kind of uh, chimed in on your two cents. And, um I feel like I was as clear as I possibly could be that we just, we need continuity now. You know, there are certain things in this country that we now know. There are certain things in each state that we know. There are certain things in the world that we know. And the NFL, there are certain things that we know. The NFL is changing their policy as they should, and they should have all along. They're changing their policy to Basically, if you're asymptomatic, we're, we're just not going to test you, <laughs> right? Because the more testing means we're going to constantly come up and get more people. Um, you hear a lot of these college coaches have come out now uh, and, and saying, you know, how silly it is, how ridiculous it is. You watch political leaders um, today come out. Some of them have two boosters in them. Some of them have three boosters in them. They're still getting it. What we now know about the virus is very simple. Masks do not work. The end. The virus, the vaccine does not prevent the spread of the virus. We know that for a fact now. Does that mean that you shouldn't go out and get the vaccine? Absolutely not. If you are at risk, if you are over 55 years old, if you're a health risk and not in good shape, you should go do it. And guess what? If you just want to do it, just just go do it. But we have to stop acting like asymptomatic 25 year old, massively in shape athletes that are, are, you know, getting tested two, three times a day and sometimes after practice, which is ridiculous. We should we need to stop acting like 
that should shut down the sport. Now, I know the NBA is having problems. I know that college basketball is having problems. NHL, Toronto Maple Leafs are now going to start having a problem, as well as some other teams. And so is the NFL. The NFL, though, is the only league that basically put out a statement and said, no matter what happens, no matter what, we will not cancel games for you unvexed people. And they put a big wedge in. Guys like DeAndre Hopkins came out and said, look, you know, medically, I, I know people that are getting sick from uh, the shot. I, I know people that are having adverse reactions. Cole Beasley said, look, I know people. I, personally, somebody on my block, you know, I know people that are getting sick from it. And they made them outcast. Well, you guys are the problem. Now, they switch everything up. And guys like KJ Wright took to Twitter and said, you know, why do we have to suffer because the Browns, uh, you know, are sick? And it is moving games after they said, we will not move games. So, the NFL, like many other things that the NFL does, completely bungled the situation. They tried to play both sides of it here. They tried to just blame unvaxxed people as opposed to just saying, you know what? We're, we're, we're going to treat this like adults. And we're still sitting back in a situation where the Browns might be without 20 players because of COVID. And then they're going to let 75,000 people into the stands <laughs> with, with, you know, uh, vax, not vax. It doesn't matter. What we now know about this problem in the world is that whether you're vaxxed or not, you're not stopping the spread of it. It doesn't matter. So the NFL is now moving their protocols. But will the NFL now move more games or will they take that hard stance? This is a problem with the NFL. It happened with the women beating problems. It has happened with drugs and alcohol issues. It's happened with on the field issues. The NFL just doesn't have consistency. So this isn't overly a conversation about uh, about the vaxxed or not, but I'm sure we'll go into uh, you know the COVID problems and protocols here, Chris. But the NFL just doesn't do things right because they just don't have consistency. I would have rather that the NFL stuck to their guns, even though I disagree with that. I, I would have rather them stuck to their guns and say, listen, we're not moving any games. We told you guys we weren't moving games, but no, they didn't. They're kind of picking and choosing. They're moving with what they want to do. And once again, we're in a spot where the players are now infighting. The union is infighting and the NFL looks bad. So a couple of things, Tommy, obviously, you know, we're talking about the memos that were distributed on Saturday, right? That are basically describing a major shift in the NFL and how they're approaching the pandemic. Uh, there's a, there's going to be a number of new protocols that are going to take effect next week. Um, these protocols, look, and these are this is not my own personal opinion. This isn't yours. These are, these are from you know people who are public health experts are saying that uh, what what's taking place here is that uh, the NFL is, is uh, basically going by a protocol that could allow the virus to spread undetected throughout locker rooms and could increase opportunities or infected but otherwise healthy players to participate in games. This is essentially the NFL throwing their hands up, right? It's a collective throwing up their hands because you know because basically chaos is ensued and we don't have you know, integrity as far as on the field situation. Well, no, Chris, they're pulling well, the protocol back. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to lay out exactly what is trans. Well, I'm, I'm saying, but this, what I'm trying to lay out exactly what's transpiring here because, you know, the, the talk is what a more targeted testing plan in a statement, right? Along with more flexibility for players to attend meetings virtually and opportunities for high-risk players to opt out uh, for the remainder of the season. 
And, you know, it, it's basically a revised NFL and NFLPA, you know, COVID-19 protocols that are going to end, like, as you talked about, are going to end the weekly testing of asymptomatic, fully vaccinated individuals. So, uh, and, and this is all, by, by the way, this has all been spurred, of course, by the, uh, you know, amidst the emergence of the Omicron variant, right? And you've got, you know, over 150 yeah, the, mostly the asymptomatic players freak out. testing positive this past week. You, what you were saying is correct. What you're saying is correct. The NFL doesn't know how to handle this. And by the way, this isn't just an NFL situation. It's going to be something that the NBA, the NHL, obviously the NHL is dealing with it as well, too. There's a number of teams in the NHL that are having to deal with this from a standpoint of, uh, you know, uh, just that all this stuff is moving around. And it's, it's uh, at this point, it's not about looking back and saying, well, you don't know what you're doing, NFL, or you don't know what you're doing, NHL. The way they are approaching it is how can we rectify the situation? How can we make this where, uh, you know, we can keep an integrity from a, you know, from an on-field competition standpoint, and at the same time, we're addressing what exactly we're dealing with as far as what, Chris, what I think they? is the back end of this pandemic, right? That's what you're but, trying to do. So that's Chris, that's that's, that, that's what the focus of the league is. They're trying to do. Yes, is it a, is it a situation that makes it makes it look like they don't know what they're doing? Yeah, I guess. But there also has to be a plan moving forward for the league and for and basically for American society. To be quite honest with you, regarding how they're going to approach the pandemic from here on out. But but Chris, are they look? I you you know where I stand. Okay, so this is I'm I'm on I'm actually on the other side. If we are in this Omicron crisis, okay, which we all know is laughable, and Joe Biden's going to be a moron on the air on Tuesday, and we all laugh him off. But we but if we are in that, let let's say we are. Well, we all don't do that. I mean, you do, but that's because we understand your political position. But Congress, it's not a political situation. It's not political at all. It's 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 not political though. It's a no, it's a no it's, a, it's a public it. health issue that but that the sports not, leagues are dealing with it, and that and that American society is dealing with. It's not but, political but in not, any way, shape, but, or form. Not it has nothing to do with whether you're Republican, Democrat. Yeah, it, it, but it's not. That's the point. Well, no, it's, but it's not a political thing, though. It's not but a political entity. It has nothing to do with politics. Yeah, it's just the NFL is telling us this. That everybody, you know, Omicron is here. People are getting sick. We have problems. So what are they saying? Oh, we're going to test less. Why? Because the Omicron is a cold. We know it. It's just, it's no more than a seasonal cold. Less than 1% of the people are hospitalized from it. It's not a big deal. It's not a problem. So they're testing less. My point is this. It's not even a political issue, but my point is this. If the NFL was so worried about spreading of COVID, why pull the protocols back right now? Why wouldn't you continue this why wouldn't you get more stringent testing do you not think they're saying asymptomatic players if you're a guy forget about that we always look at the nfl like guys that make it 25 million dollars a year if you're the guy that's the 53rd man on the bench on special teams and you wake up and you have you know a cold like symptoms which is exactly what omnicron is and you have cold like symptoms are you going to tell anybody are you going to tell them that you have this no you're going to hide it absolutely not yeah absolutely not Right, so this is going to spread more. Well, than they're, they're, but Tommy, they're already counting on that. That's what they're saying. They're already counting on that. Their statement was saying they absolutely said it that it could allow the virus to spread undetected throughout locker rooms. So, so it's in essence what they're saying is, you know what, we we believe there's some type of uh, some type of rationale 
for almost like a herd immunity here, right? And, and probably maybe there is. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I don't know, you know, exactly how the NFL or any other sports league should handle it. What I'm just what I'm simply just pointing out is the frame of mind that probably the NFL is in. And their frame of mind is this, okay, is that when you have, you know, and, and I'm talking about on the field, right? And I'm talking about in the league. When you have a situation where you've got numerous teams that, you know, because of what the protocols that are set up now, where they have to sit games, right? Or you have to, you have to, you know, you have to test or you have to test negative twice before you can be put back on the field. It's, it's messing with the integrity of the sport on the field. So what's the natural reaction for the NFL or any else? How do we make this? I mean, you can say go away for lack of a better phrase, but how do you approach it? There, there's got to be some type of approach. There's got to be some type of plan that's Chris, in the same where football, you're addressing it. You know, Chris, in the same season, though, but, in the same season, you're talking about integrity. They already made Aaron Rodgers. Right. Out, right? So there's no integrity already. You didn't treat Aaron Rodgers like you're treating the Cleveland Browns. You didn't treat Aaron Rodgers like you're treating Well, I can't sit. Look, 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 at, look, Tommy, I can't sit here and make excuses for the NFL when they do when they make a wrong decision regarding this, you know, or, you well, know, history he, he, I can't nitpick each individual situation. I can't. Not I'm not going to defend them. I mean, if they, if, yeah. It's not just this, though. Well, I mean, we, we can say that, but I'm talking about, but how do we rectify it moving? Again, it's a, such a fluid situation. You, we can't make blanket statements like, and by the way, you said that masks don't work. I don't know why you would say that. Uh, it's been, it's been proven, proven, you know, proven through numerous studies that it, yes, look, yes, masks yes. are not an end-all be-all. It is a, like, masks are a layer of protection. The, the, the use of masks are a layer of protection. It's supposed to either cut back, it's not supposed to alleviate everybody from getting COVID-19 or, right. Mas- you know, putting you in a position where you're not going happen. to get it at all. It, it's, right. That's we, not, we know that, that that's not how they work. So but it's but not, we, yeah, if you made a definitive statement, like, that masks don't work. It's they not do not work. Yeah, yeah masks not do not work. Definitively say it's not. It is, but well, it is definitive. Masks don't work. Lockdowns don't work. That's been proven. Okay, but wow. moving on to yeah, moving on to what we're talking about regarding but this. Point, right, I mean, look, I feel you. I understand what you're talking about, with, and I understand. Look, I understand, Tommy, your frustration regarding the NFL. But we still have to have a plan. We have to have a plan. Okay, and it doesn't. It has nothing to do with any any anybody's politics. Or whether or not you think you know minute, you think Chris, the vaccination work or not, you know, because again, Chris, this how is can you be on this side of the argument? If if all of a sudden in Las Vegas tomorrow you heard, you know, Omicron was going crazy, everybody was was it, it, there was a massive outbreak. So you had politicians stand up there and say, okay, so guys, we're going to test less. That's what the NFL is doing. They're saying we are having massive outbreaks, so we're going to test less. We're we're going to test less. You know, there, Tommy, Tommy, there's some truth to what you're saying regarding Omicron. There, there's a reason why people are, look, we're not getting, think about this. Think about it from this standpoint, right? Obviously, there have been other strains of COVID-19, right? Okay, where they have been much deadlier, right? More people have died. Since Omicron came onto the scene, what, two, three weeks ago? There hasn't been this influx. You're right to to some extent regarding the, you know, the, how palpable this, this strain of virus is. It's not 
as deadly. It's not as something. So, yes, I think that the public, again, the public health experts, you and I are not public health experts, okay? So I don't like talking like I'm a scientist or a public health expert. But I'm just, I'm just doing, I'm just viewing this from a common sense standpoint. Yes, you are. I think you are right. And I'm on board with you when you talk about how Omicron is not something that is going to start wiping people off because there hasn't been, that hasn't been the case, right? In all of American society in the past, what? Uh, the past three weeks, there hasn't been a lot of people that have died from the Omicron strain. It just hasn't happened. So yes, the NFL is taking a step saying, okay, this is a little bit different than what we were dealing with before. That's what I was saying before when I said it's a, it is a fluid situation, okay? It's not the same with Omicron as it was for the other strains when it comes to the NFL, the NHL, the NBA, a different approach, okay? It's a more, you can call it hands-off approach now, right? Because they're not going to be testing. There's not going to be, you know, it's going to be more target testing, but there's not going to be as much. So, and it's, it, again, like I said before, it is essentially a throwing up of the hands by the NFL, which I would agree with almost to an extent, but it's not, it's, it's not like we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and we're just going to say, oh, you know, any, all the stuff before didn't work and the vaccines don't work, masks don't work. And, you know, it's just, and, and we shouldn't even, it, but we this know was all uh, not mean, even a big deal. You know, and that COVID-19 wasn't a big deal. We shouldn't have, you know, taken the precautions that we took up until now. It's it's not that type of situation. Again, it's a situation that has been fluid and it continues to be. And I would expect and I would hope that those, the powers that be in the NFL and all the other sports leagues would listen to public health officials and people that actually know what they're talking about as opposed to listening to politicians and other people that don't know anything about anything when it comes to the situation and leave it at that. that. That's the best way to approach it. And I'm sure and I would hope that moving forward, the NFL would do exactly that. But the, the, the understanding here is that I think that they're underrating the idea that players are going to hide this. If you're asymptomatic, you're not going to know anyway. So people are going to be able to spread it you know, throughout uh, no matter what. You can't do anything about that. But the players are going to hide this. How We talk about the Michael Jordan flu game all the time. I know I'm not comparing COVID to the flu. I've compared it to pneumonia. I think that that's a much better comparison. But my idea is that but Michael Jordan flu game. Listen, Michael Jordan played on the court, told everybody, I got the flu, man. Right? He's throwing up. We, we talk about it having a great No game. doubt. Yeah. He could have given yeah. the flu to everybody else out there. But he continued to play. Now, Michael Jordan didn't need money. <laughs> okay? Right? Michael Jordan wasn't somebody that needed to go yeah. out there and play, and play sick. Uh, these guys that are under the weather are now not going to be tested, so they're going to be able to spread it. Why would the NFL not just make the blanket statement that, look, we are going to treat this like the data has shown us. Vaccines don't work. Boosters don't work. Our players are not in grave danger, and we're going to let them control it themselves. Why Again, you're making time. Come on. Come on. You're making statements that aren't true. You're saying the boosters don't work. That's not true. The, the boosters, okay, the boosters don't it's work not the end-all, be-all. It is, again, a layer of protection. No, it is not. No protection. You're, you're making blanket Chris, statements Chris, that aren't true, Chris, and you're basing no your premise of your Chris, argument on those Chris, no on something that's not true. And so there's, that there's, it, it makes there's, it problematic, no Tommy, when you're, when you're moving forward with your statement. There's no it's a layer of protection. Yes, it's like it's like the it's like a birth control pill. It's like a seatbelt in a car. These these are analogies no, that have been used Chris, all no, along, and they absolutely apply to when you're talking about COVID-19 vaccines and booster shots. It's just just because. Okay, so people look, people get COVID-19 
2019, despite the fact that you get vaccinated, despite the fact that you get one booster, two booster, three boosters, whatever, people still do get COVID-19. It doesn't mean you just throw out and say the boosters don't work and that and the vaccines don't work. That's not how it operates. Vaccine, that's not, it's, Chris, it's not the Chris. situation. That's not Chris. how public health experts, Tommy, talk. Chris, and you and I, again, we're Chris, not public Chris, health experts. So making a statement CDC like that is correct. Of the cases, Chris, the CDC put out that 80% of the cases are from people that have already had the shot. Vaccines are not working to stop to prevent the spread of it. The, the how bad it is, the intensity of it, sure, absolutely. You know, if you're if you're a 65-year-old woman, you know, uh, my mother asked me, you know, I'm, I'm going to get the vaccine. Yeah, go get it. You're a 65-year-old woman. 25-year-old athletes in, in the prime shape of the 1% of this country, uh, it's not stopping the spread. So, again, we need to kind of pull it back and say it's not stopping the spread for them. Children, you know, kids, you should not be getting the vaccine. I mean, at all in any way, shape, or form. You want to get it? Go ahead. But don't expect it to stop the spread because the CDC put out that 80% of the new cases are from people that are vaccinated. So you have to start to look at it from realistic statistical data status, not the NFL feeling good about it. But again, you also have to approach it in a way, how about approaching it like this? You, we, we need to be approaching in a way that is we, 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 and not I, I, I. You're saying how, uh, you know, no, look, yes, young young players, right? Look, there's not a situ- there hasn't been a situation yet, right, where, a, where an NFL player or any high profile athlete or, you know, obviously athletes that are young, they're in great shape, there's been no situation where any of them has died from COVID-19. You know, there's, there hasn't been one situation, okay? This isn't just about the individual athletes in sports, Tommy. This is about everybody else involved too. This is about their grandparents, right? This is about the trainer that works in the, you know, works in the facility with them. It's about the, you know, your school teachers. It's about other people. This isn't just about each individual person, whether or not you get so sick where you're going to, or you, you get in a situation where you need to go to the hospital because you're so sick. And again, the viability of vaccines and boosters, okay, it's not just a, do you, how you react to the symptoms. Are the symptoms as bad if you have the vaccine? And again, numerous studies show that, that you have a lesser chance of having, you know, life-threatening or a situation where you have to go to the hospital if you get the vaccine. There are also, new, there's, there's overwhelming numbers, okay, that you spread it, that you, your percentage of spreading it is way less if you get vaccinated or that you have booster shots. So this isn't just an end-all, be-all type of situation. And when it comes to sports, it's not just about the athletes. It's not just about... In this case, though, in this you know, case, can be in a in a detrimental situation. It's not about if you know LeBron James comes down with COVID nineteen. How bad is it for him, and how bad is it you know? And moving forward, that's not the deal. It's about everybody else involved, and it's about the collective, and that's what what's most important about this. But in this case, the NFL has to look out for their players. That the NFL can't sit back and say we're going to look out for the whole society and let 75,000 people into the stands let you know uh, their entire team be tested two or three times a day and then have a a packed stadium you are not looking out for the respected person themselves and you have to look out for the individual that's what the players association is there for I am agreeing with you where I say look you know what these guys 
are, are in a position where the NFL has to do what's best for their, their league. They're going to do what's best, to, let's be honest, for their bottom dollar. And yeah, maybe they should look out for everybody. But in this spot, you got to look out for your product. The product will be hurt by more stringent testing. I get that. But if we are sitting back and you're trying to play both sides of the fence, and that's what the NFL is doing, the NFL is saying, hey, we don't want to cancel any more games, so we're going to test less. Well, if you test less, you're going to find less, which means you're going to be able to push the playoffs through and you're going to get your games in. Sure. It also means your aura of we're trying to protect everybody, like you just said, it gets shot down. Because if you're trying to protect everybody, then you would be testing just as much. I'm somebody in the mind of, you know what? They should be testing. They should be careful about it. But let's not get crazy. And in a position where these guys are coming up with false positives, they're, they're having to take double negative tests. They're getting tested after practice, after breathing all over each other, they're getting tested. It's not just me that's having the problem with it. Most of the players have been very adamant. Most of the players have taken to social media. The players are now rebelling against the NFL. And this wasn't supposed to be a COVID conversation. This was more of, this is what the NFL has been doing for a while. They do this with women beating. They've done this with uh, drunk driving. They've done this with drugs. They have, have to set a protocol and stick to it. This is our decision. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to move on from here. It should not be a position where guys are getting fined more for untucking their jerseys than they are for out drinking and driving and things of that nature. The NFL has a long history of just not sticking to what they say is our decision. And this is just another in the long run. Guys, that's going to well, do it Tommy, for us. Look, Chris. you're not going to get an argument from me when it comes to I'm not going to sit here and, ma- and make excuses for the NFL. Look, they've made wrong decisions in the past regarding other issues without question, right? And so, you know, I'm on board with you when it comes to that. I was just specifically talking about COVID-19 and, you know, and uh, the change to protocol and procedure in which they're engaging in now. And, you and you know, and you brought up another, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of elements here that are in, intriguing to say the least. The, by the one, a final quick note, you brought up how, you know, some players might hide it. Uh, obviously, the NFL is taking an approach now where, you know what, they don't really care if the players hide it. That, because they, yeah. again, because I think there's a lot of people that feel the way you do regarding the Om- Omicron variant and say hey look it's just not it's not that serious so yeah so even if we do have a lot of players that test positive or, or that would test positive i guess you know we're just going to kind of like uh you know just kind of let let it fly and just uh and see where we go from here well yeah i hope that the uh hope that the players are fine hope every everybody it, it is kind of where we think that it's going with this and everything's okay i just find it very weird that you know, during the height of what's going on, they decide to go pull the testing back, and and players are angry. Players are very angry, and this is going to be, and in a couple of years, the players' association is going to have their hands full, sitting at the table across from the NFL owners, talking about things like this. We're in a baseball lockout because of other reasons, but I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL players' association has a lot of pushback. Eventually, players are adamant. We're in a social media age, and they are not happy. Chris, it's been fantastic two hours with you, man. Um, we're not going to talk, so uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to all the listeners out there. I'm not going to talk to you guys before Christmas next weekend. We are off. Uh, so a Merry Christmas from Tim Onglesby as well. I could speak for him in telling everybody. I hope you guys have a, a really, really good week. It is a 
from a sports betting world, from a sports fan world. It's going to be an amazing week. We do have football almost every day, whatever the reason might be. It's a for a bad reason, but we have football nearly every day this week. So that's going to be fun. College basketball, we got bowl games. So the next time we talk, it's going to be the new year. And the next time we talk, guys, it's going to be a whole, totally different NFL landscape. For Chris Wynn, for Tim Unglesby, Brian on the other side of the board. Guys, I'm Tom Barton. Have a Merry Christmas out there, everybody. Goodbye now. like yelling at technology listen anytime on your smart speaker just tell it to put on fox sports las vegas 98.9 fm and 1340 a.m kkgk las vegas 